Hey, how's she going, eh? That is my official youper greeting to all of you. I, th there must be something about the weather getting cold up here in Michigan that makes me think I'm in the the UP, which is the land of the youpers. And if you if you are at all familiar with the geography of Michigan, I, I know a lot of you probably make fun of my nasally Midwestern accent a lot. But but even in Michigan here, we have various dialects. And if you live in the UP, that stands for the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, whereas I'm in the Lower Peninsula of Michigan, which makes me a troll. I don't know. It's a, it's a whole thing. I'm sure every state has their things, but uh, that's one of our Michigan things. The Upers are a great bunch of people, very friendly folk. And if you ever encounter one, just feel free to, to go up to them and say, hey, how's she going, eh? And they'll be instant friends, I promise. Uh, welcome, everyone. This is Keith Billick, and you're listening to the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Before I get too far into this episode, I actually need to share some time-sensitive uh, recommendations for you. There is a an, an excellent banjo camp coming up, and before, you, before your mind goes to all the uh, COVID restrictions that we have, this is an online banjo camp, the Banjo Summit, and what it is is a three-day banjo workshop aimed at teaching accessible techniques and it adds color to your traditional playing uh, but there are a lot of instructors who can take you way beyond bluegrass so regardless of your favorite styles the banjo summit will expand your expertise and undoubtedly inspire countless new ideas that will raise your playing to new heights now this is happening december 4th through 6th uh, 2020. So just a couple weeks from now, hopefully you're hearing this in time. And of course, being online, you know, you don't have to make travel accommodations or anything like that. You can get an all access pass for only 200 bucks. Included with that, you'll you'll receive a ton of tablature and all classes and concerts will be recorded and accessible to you after the weekend. And by far the best part about this, listen to the faculty they have. Uh, Bela Fleck is going to be teaching you. Uh, Two-time IBMA Banjo Player of the Year, Kristen Scott Benson. Uh, Steve Martin Banjo Prize winners, Jake Blunt and B.B. Baunas. Two-time Juno Award winner, Jamie Stone. Wes Corbett, who you know from the podcast, and he's going to perform his uh, brand new upcoming CD. Uh, Adam Larrabee, Jake Sheps, and Bennett Sullivan suggest all-star cast and all, like I said, for only 200 bucks, which is, let's face it, that's the price of couple hours of private lessons and this is a three-day workshop with some of the best people out there uh, so you can sign up for that at www.banjosummit.org i'll be attending at least a few of those events so i hope to see some of you there another important thing to make sure that you know about is the podcast patreon page which is patreon.com slash banjo podcast that's how you sign up to become a supporter of the show and uh this show largely relies on the support of the listeners every episode as any of you regular listeners know i try to acknowledge one of the very special patrons and today is no different today's patron of the show is dr will selman any of you who have read banjo newsletter for some time and i'm talking all the way back to maybe 2002 2003 might remember an ask dr will column which helped people with the physical challenges that our heavy instrument can inflict upon their bodies uh well that was him and he's he's still in the game and he was 
he was very cool, reached out with, to me with um, a lengthy email, which was an amazing read. He, he went through and, and told me all of his favorite parts about each of the episodes, even reminded me of some portions of episodes that I had already forgotten. So, Will, thank you so much for reaching out and for your very kind words and your email. Hope you keep in touch. And of course, thank you for being a supporter of the show on Patreon.com. So once again, that's Patreon.com slash Banjo Podcast. Other ways to support the show, you can buy merch. Uh, go to banjopodcast.com. I'm actually running out of some sizes and colors of t-shirts. So if you want a Picky Fingers t-shirt or sticker, check that out. They make great holiday gifts. And I have no doubt that these Picky Fingers t-shirts will become one of the main status symbols in the following years. So make sure to get yours while the prices are still reasonable, you know, before all the celebrities start wearing them and then the price goes through the roof. You know how it is. Uh, Banjopodcast.com. Other than that, follow me on social media. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can track me down there. Contact the show, pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. And I've given you way too many websites and information. So on with the show. have a freshly picked episode featuring an interview with the young banjoist Max Allard and he is going to be talking to me actually about two recent projects that he was involved in. One is his own release titled Rooster. We're going to primarily focus on that but almost at the same time he was a big contributor to a project called A Rich Man's War and a Poor Man's Fight which is a collection of Civil War-themed songs largely composed and written by a man named Warren Lemming. And we will talk all about both of those things. Uh, but Max is one of the rising young stars in the banjo world. I keep hearing about him from almost everyone that I interview, and they cite him as uh, someone to keep an eye on. He's only about 18 years old. He's based out of Chicago and is just, yeah, all, already showing some really fantastic creativity on the instrument. So I'm really excited to see what he does in the future and what he comes up with and where his career takes him. But uh, for now, we're going to chat with him about these two projects. So enjoy this interview with Max Allard. Max Allard, welcome, and thank you for, you You sent me off two recent recordings that you're on that we're going to talk about. One is under your name, and it's it's an EP. Is, is this technically, is Rooster technically an EP? It's kind of like a little long for an EP, but a little short for <laughs> a yeah, full length. I guess it's in between, but I would, yeah, it's, you could consider it a compilation CD that, I guess you could call it an album. Yeah, it's a compilation CD that's also an album. So not really an EP, but... um. 
an LP. Yeah, there you go. And then also a uh, a project that you contributed substantially to, although it is under uh, a man named Warren Lemming's name, and we'll get to that. But that's a a collection of Civil War inspired music. Um, but let's let's start off by getting into your to your own project, the opening tune Soleil. That's how you pronounce it, right? That is correct. Yep. Okay, I just know it from Cirque du Soleil. So. Oh right, yeah. Me too. I, I sound I sound smart for knowing these foreign words, but uh, it's, I'm not really that sophisticated. So I don't know. This this one really like sets the tone for the rest of the album. I think it has a lot of you know it it demonstrates that it's going to be a lot of quite a bit of solo banjo. Not that the whole record is only banjo, but there are a substantial number of tracks that are solo banjo. And uh, the other impression that I got from it that is that these are definitely like pieces of music rather than tunes. And maybe that's a distinction without a difference. But um, you obviously don't approach these pieces in a normal, like, I'm writing a fiddle tune with an A part and a fiddle tune with a B part, and then call it good. Talk about how you approach your composing, and I guess maybe specifically in in regards to Soleil and or the first like three tunes are all these like solo banjo pieces. Yeah, I've always I've written music um, sort of since the since I've been interested in music. I've always been interested in music and I've been writing things. Um, and the way I think I approach the banjo and the way I've gotten inspired is from a lot of non banjo players. Interestingly enough, I've, um, I used to play piano when I was younger and I was inspired by, you know, a lot of music from my parents' collection, some be it maybe pop music, some is more classical. But recently I've been listening to a lot of guitar players um, and the way I, I think I, I had this crystallized moment the first time I heard this guitar player named Pepino Diagostino um, from Italy. And mm-hmm. when I heard him play, I was like, that's how I want to compose on the banjo. I thought to myself, oh, oh that's his composition style is so unique to the guitar. If I could apply that um, style of composing to the banjo, I might kind of get my kind of get a unique sound. And yeah, it was listening to guitarists like him um, and like uh, pianists as well. Keith Jarrett is somebody who I've been inspired by. Um, other acoustic guitarists, Leo Kotke, John Fahey, a lot of styles um, that I've sort of tried to put into this put into this amalgam of sound sort of I've um on the banjo I've been inspired by alternate tunings usually I don't most of these pieces I think Soleil is in an yeah Soleil is in an alternate tuning and I wrote this one last summer I actually don't know how I got into the tuning but I, it was definitely what started the song I tune it to um my banjo to C sharp G sharp and then F sharp, C sharp, so C sharp, G sharp, F sharp, C sharp, and then an F. So this is sort of like a C sharp sus4 tuning. Wait, you said C sharp, G sharp, F sharp? Yeah. So the B string is lower pitch than the, what would normally be the G string? Oh, no, you're, you're going the other direction. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm going from okay. one to five, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. My uh, bad. Yeah, C sharp, F sharp. I'm sorry, C sharp, G sharp, F sharp, C sharp, and then a high F. That makes more sense. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, I forget how I came up with it, but uh, I wrote it last summer, and I was sort of experimenting with using, taking advantage of these three open strings, strings two, four, and five. 
We get in tune. And I thought if I played sixth, I kind of get an interesting sound with droning these three strings, but still playing sixths up the neck. Because you could do a similar thing in, in G tuning. You can play sixth and like have the high fifth string as a drone string. But I kind of wanted to take advantage and get him of this open tuning and get an even more open sound, especially in this strange key like C sharp. So yeah, it started with um, just experimenting with six, sixths. Then I got to this. This um, uh, D sharp minor 11th here. I don't have to go through the whole song, obviously, but I, I think that it got inspired by um, just sort of this open tuning, and I wanted to write something that sounded very open, very uh, almost guitar-esque. And this, I would say, of all, like when I mentioned Pepino di Agostino, this is sort of written in that vein, sort of that, um, that I'm not really sure even how to classify it in the genre, but just sort of a uh, contemporary guitar style on banjo, if that makes any sense. Yeah, some like experimental guitar, you know, the, yeah, him and Leo Kaki and guys like that all have their sort of niche genre of guitar weirdness that they exactly. that they do and that that it's really cool i i mean yeah you said um that it's inspired by him but you also said you're inspired by piano players and i thought right. that first one is particularly piano like and i right. think hearing you talk about how you wanted to use that fourth open string i think that's really what makes it sound like that because you're high up notes and in contrast with that lower tuned, low open string really gives that separation of the range of the instrument, right. which I think to me, you know, brings to mind the, the left and right hand of a, of a piano player. But yeah, I can, I can absolutely see how that all melds together for, for something like that. That's cool. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, I, it's, it's funny because sometimes I feel like these um, influences get inside me, but I don't necessarily try to write in a style of, of a specific artist that just sort of influences my musical taste or the way I think about melody or harmony and then it ends up coming out. I'm like, oh, that, that actually kind of sounds like that one recording by so-and-so, even if I didn't uh -huh. model it after a specific composer. Um, I kind of think for a lot of people, the more you hear, the more, the more your taste kind of gets influenced. I mean, it seems kind of obvious, but I mean, like, I, the way I was writing uh, three years ago is completely different than the way I was writing now. And the artists I was listening to three years ago are completely different than the artists I'm listening to right now. Um, th this is a little bit of a, of a tangent, but I saw your post the other day with a guitar uh, lick, if you want to call it that, asking for, does anybody recognize <laughs> this? And yeah. is, is that part of that same mentality of you come up with something and you're pretty sure you might be copying it, but you're not sure? Yeah. Is that where that post came from? Where it basically like verifying that you actually made it up and you're not just ripping it off? Yeah, it was a melody that came into my head and I thought this sounds like something or it's at least very similar to something. And I, before I really wrote the whole song, I thought I should just maybe, since my, all my followers mostly are musicians, I should just put this poll out on Instagram and say, hey, is this something you've heard? Nobody said that um, it was a specific song they heard. Some people said, oh no, it's, that is, like I had one that said, yes, you thief, <laughs> saying like, <laughs> yeah. objection, that's that's already a song. Uh, but nobody, <laughs> nobody clarified or sent me a private message about what it was. So I, nobody's told me anything specific, so I'll just... Until somebody tells me that's a song, I'll keep on playing it. Um, hopefully, hopefully it's if it is similar to something, it's different enough that I that I won't get into a lawsuit or anything. 
Yeah, wait for your cease and desist letter to oh, yeah. to show up. Oh yeah. Forfeit all of your banjo riches that you that you'll be making <laughs> off of it. So to to go back to the the comment that probably a good half of this uh, recording is solo banjo. Yeah. How how much does that factor in when you're composing? Do you have in mind when you're composing that you need to give it this full range sound because you know it's going to be a solo banjo piece? Or is it the other way around where you write it and then determine like, uh, this really doesn't need much much else? What's, uh-huh. uh, what's that decision for you? That's a good question. I think sometimes... Like right away when I usually I'll start a song with an idea uh, like a lick or yeah usually it's like motif based I'll have like a little motif and I think oh I should keep on exploring and usually pretty early on I'll have an idea of this should be played with more instruments or this shouldn't be played with instruments and it's not always black and white should and shouldn't but occasionally like for Soleil with this low this low C sharp I wanted to make sh- I wanted to get um, begin to bleed a little bit into that guitar range to get a little bit lower sounding so I could really make it sound full, even though it's just a banjo. Um, but I have written mm-hmm. some things, not that I've released, um, but that I know from like from the beginning of the writing process, like this will make a good fiddle tune-esque thing. This needs to be played with a guitar player. So yeah, I would, yeah, say, yeah. I would, I would say early on in my com- composition process, I make the decision of whether it's solo or to be played with, to be played collaboratively. Huh, interesting, yeah. Um, so another, uh, another guitar style that I feel like I hear a lot of in your playing is like a Travis style Mm -hmm. thumb Mm -hmm. pattern. Is that, is that something that you feel like you've taken a lot from, or is it maybe a coincidence? I have. It's interesting. I didn't know. So this thing, I I, I am doing a lot of that Travis style of root fifth, root fifth. And I do it like how a guitar player would do it on like the sixth and fifth strings, but on the fourth and third strings generally. I do have a roll pattern that I utilize a lot. And I remember I noticed one day, wait, this is basically Travis style on banjo. And I studied Travis style a little bit. And I'd done some blues guitar. I'd um, like learned some Mississippi John Hurt early on and then some, you know, Leo Kotke and stuff like that. But yeah, I remember I never really considered myself a Travis style guitar player. And one day I thought this is Travis style on banjo. So I really don't know how that, um, where that came from. I guess just from the little that I learned on guitar somehow got its way into banjo. And I think since when you play Travis style guitar, it's kind of mimics like a honky tonk piano, like they're playing roots and bass notes on one hand and melodies on the other. I thought, well, if I'm going to write solo banjo pieces that sound full and, you know, bass, sound more orchestral, I needed something to, something to kind of back up my higher up, kind of back up what I was kind of having two parts, if that makes any sense. I had a melody something up there and then I also have to have something that's alternating something that's going root fifth root fifth or boom chuck boom chuck and then something else that's playing a melody that's maybe more syncopated so I guess it might be like a I might be unknowingly transcribing bass and melody at the same time just because that's my natural instinct of uh, writing stuff that sounds full enough for me so I don't really know I I never did the Travis style intentionally but it's that roll pattern I've used so much by accident that I just realized this is just (laughs) something that I that uh, my musical conscience wants me to do because it sounds good and it sounds like a a bass part and a melody part well yeah you're right it's it is a good way of basically accompanying yourself then finally after those solo banjo pieces we get to uh 
track for the Moondogs <laughs> Lament, which gives us the classic bluegrass lineup of uh, banjo with melodica and tambourine. <laughs> yeah, why and how and yeah. and what's with that? That's a funny story. So that's the only track on this record that's home recorded. Uh, me and my brother one day, I think this is pretty late, uh, some some late night last year, We I came up... I think we were like trying to get better at using garage vendors. There was some technique we were trying and I thought, oh, I came up with this guitar riff. We'll make a little demo or something. So I played this guitar chord progression and then I thought, oh, we should add melodica. Like we really weren't going into this. We, we wrote this on the spot. We were just like messing around uh -huh. in GarageBand and kept on adding tracks. And I thought this is actually a good song. And as I was playing this guitar um, chord progression, that a melody popped into my head and I thought, oh, let's play it on the melodica. And we've had this melodica for years. We don't really use it that much, but I thought it's a good opportunity because it sounds, I kind of wanted to go for that accordion sound, that kind of. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we got the melodica out. We got, I think, a tambourine for it as well. I'm, I'm, it might even list on the record all the, the instruments used on it. Um, yeah, I think there's a fiddle too. Yeah, um, violin, melodica, tambourine, guitar, banjo. Yeah, so it really just, it never, I never wrote that beforehand. It was just um, something I put in GarageBand to demo. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think my brother actually played melodica for that track. Uh, and then I put banjo, played some fills that were improvised live. Uh, it was kind of just this big improvisational, pro uh, this little improvisational project that came about at around 11 o'clock one night. Is that a is that a baritone guitar on that track or what's it must be very low tuned or something yeah. like it's got a very deep tune. It's tuned in uh, tuning or but it's tuned in like the dad gad tuning but a half half step down so instead of D A D okay. G uh, A D it's C G C F uh, G C. That's kind of a Leo Kaki thing too, isn't it? Right, I, I, he has like a twelve string something like that right he uses those open tunings a lot really deep he goes down to b sometimes yeah that's nuts yeah you can really you can really tell it's got that that low bottom end it's real cool thank you and then what's after that gray owl which is kind of interesting it's made its way is is that something i'm i'm, I'm just starting to hear more and more people play that tune is that one that from your perspective is gaining a bit of like mainstream and by mainstream i know i mean like you know just among people who pick tunes is that one that's kind of being on the radar for more and more people you think yeah uh definitely within the last year last couple of years it's suddenly like the new hip tune to be played in the old time scene and the bluegrass scene i learned it um in the February of 2019 from this guy, David Sasso. It was, uh, my brother was taking a mandolin camp in Benicia, California, taught by Mike Marshall. Um, and one mm -hmm. of the students, Dave, um, so yeah, shout out to David Sasso. He just said, oh, you know the tune Gray Owl? And we didn't, but he taught it to us on the spot. And we learned it and we thought, this is a great tune. And then when we came back to Chicago, where I live, um, this guy at a music store started playing it. And I said, what's that tune? He said, oh, it's a tune named Gray Owl. And we said, oh, yeah, we we remember learning that from someone else. And since basically what happened after that was more and more people uh, were playing it. We heard it like suddenly after that one that one um, event in 2019, the first time I heard it, suddenly it was popping up everywhere. And the tune itself yeah. was written by uh, John Arcand, who's a Canadian fiddle uh, fiddler. And he wrote it in the 80s, I think, like 84 or so. Uh, so Interesting. even though it's, you know, 35 years old, it's somehow just within the last couple of years exploded um, and everybody's playing it. There's a lot of great recordings coming out um, and I hear it in jams. 
the band I, I was touring with this band Barbaro um, recently and they played it out of the blue. I was like, wow, that you guys do it too. So it's, yeah, it's, I would definitely agree with you that it's just out of the blue, um, been in the scene all of a sudden it's become very popular. But your your version, however, I imagine is not quite how you would encounter it in a pick and circle. You you guys give it a much more low key, slower paced, but kind of a more, uh, I guess I'll say like a, a beautiful treatment where you can really get into the spaces between the notes and talk talk about why you enjoy playing fiddle tunes in that way rather than I don't know just a uh, hundred thirty beats per minute like. <laughs> Uh, almost, almost all the other ones go. Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I'm trying to remember why we decided to play it so slowly. Yeah, I remember we learned it and we just thought to ourselves it sounds better slow. I th- oh, you know what? I remember my brother played it at Rocky Grass one year and some guy told him to slow it down. Like, he says, oh, it's supposed to be played a little bit slower than that. Um, and we thought, you're right, you know, it does sound better slower. Um, and we took it to the studio with um, a great fiddle player named Matt Brown. He played guitar for the track, but he... Um, was a Colorado, uh, he, he was uh, one of our teachers in Chicago, um, teacher and collaborator, and now he's moved out to Colorado. Um, but he, yeah, he played guitar on it, my brother played mandolin, I played banjo, and we just sort of thought this is a tune that works out really well um, slow. I think we first decided that we were going to play that slowly before a gig. Matt had a gig at um, some local pub and he wanted to play Grey Owl with us, he was still playing guitar, and he said, or we were just practicing it in the rehearsal room and we went at it very slowly. I did like this funny brushing technique that I learned from Jamie Stone. And we just thought, you know, this this could be played, this could be turned into a contemplative piece in a way, like this very slow kind uh-huh. of, um, just a little bit more mindful, not really jumpy. Like most of the other recordings have more of a, uh, uh, I'm not even trying to classify it, but more of a hoppy feel, almost more of like a player piano type of feel. That, 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 there's a clear, um, there's a clear swing to it, whereas we thought that's very cool as well. But what if we completely turned it around um, and made it a slow, yeah. slow and just kind of, um, yeah, kind of mindful, contemplative. So th- that was our that was our uh, alternative stab at Grey Owl. Hey, sorry to interrupt everybody, but I just couldn't resist an opportunity to tell you about the world's most trusted source for new used and vintage fretted instruments. And that of course is Elderly Instruments, which is a family owned business located in Lansing, Michigan. But if you're not in Lansing, that's okay. They ship worldwide too. And they just have a vast selection of acoustic guitars, electric guitars, ukuleles, mandolins, all the accessories and books that you'd want for either of those. And of course, plenty and plenty of banjos. And something that people don't often think about when you're buying stuff like that, particularly entry-level instruments, is the fact that they have a world-renowned repair shop as well. When all those instruments come into the store, if they do not pass a thorough setup and inspection by the repair shop, they get sent back. And that sometimes angers the suppliers of elderly instruments, but it lets you know that elderly stands by their products. And they also have a helpful and knowledgeable sales staff to help you find what you need and you can be confident that you're going to get something that is set up to elderly's high quality standards so if that sounds great and i know it does check them out at elderly.com or call 517-372-7880 to speak to one of their helpful salespeople. it's where i go and that's where you should go to the picky fingers banjo podcast is also proud to be sponsored by peghead nation 
with Peghead Nation's streaming video courses, perfect for quarantine, by the way, but they have courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele. You can learn bluegrass, old time, and plenty of other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in roots music. For example, listen to some of the courses. These are just the banjo courses that they offer. Uh, A couple different classes with Bill Evans, such as beginning banjo and bluegrass banjo. You can learn claw hammer banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward style banjo with Bruce Molsky, the banjo according to Danny Barnes, and also contemporary bluegrass banjo with Wesley Corbett. And each of those courses includes high quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. So it's everything you need to up your skills, especially in these isolated times. And listen up, because this is the best part. If you join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now, you're going to get your first month free by going to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout. That's PICKYFINGERS, all one word, all lowercase, at pegheadnation.com. Check it out. Yeah, it's definitely cool. And of, and of course, it creates my favorite... Uh, transition of the album is going from the the calm soothing gray owl to uh the rooster tune which is which is great fun and that's like that's track six on the album and that's like really our first taste of more of like a for for lack of better words like a just a, a bluegrass right sounding thing even though it still has some some weirder chords and and weirder tones in it what's that you were just messing around with your your barnyard sound effects on that one and uh-huh. and made a tune out of it yeah uh i wrote that tune after it was very late at night it was after an old time jam um at the back of a pub it was like 11:30 or 12 and i this melody came to me this dun-dun. Uh, i'm not even in tune to play it right now but i um that melody came to me, and I remember Tony Trishka at some workshop had done like a chicken sound on his banjo, um, and I kind of mm-hmm. thought, oh, I should give that a try. Um, so yeah, the melody came to me. I put in the chicken sound. I wrote the tune within I think two or three minutes, the A part, and then I got home and some other night I wrote the B part, probably in about the same amount of time. I really put no work into it, but I thought this is a funny little tune to stomp on. You know, it's just a something to kind of gimmicky, kind of fun, kind of different than everything else I've written, but it was fun to change things up and just play something fast and, you know, kind of play something that you don't have to take very seriously. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I remember writing it and playing it at the Banjo Summit and everybody just loved it. And I thought people are responding to this far more than they've responded to my pieces that I've put so much work into. <laughs> I was like, man, all that, all this work and people say, oh yeah, that's cool. But then I write something that took me about five minutes and everybody's like, yes, this is the main thing. I remember somebody, I think um, <laughs> Jake Sheps told me, Tony Trishka heard this tune and he was impressed. That's saying something, he's seen it all. And I thought, this is a tune I wrote in five minutes. <laughs>
and I was honored yeah. that Tony Trishka liked it, um, obviously, but I, I just thought it's so, it just goes to show that it's not about the work you put in sometimes that will impress people. It's People are impressed when they have something they can relate to, and the chicken sound was funny, the, the dissonance is kind of fun, so it's just something that everybody can have fun listening to, and I think that's why they liked it so much. Yeah, the dissonance, my, my ear isn't quite sharp enough to pick everything out without having an instrument in my hand. Is there like some, is there some like whole tone right. tonalities in there? Is, is that what it does? At one point, my brother takes a whole tone solo, um, like da, but I can't, you know, maybe I should just get in tune so I can demonstrate what he's doing. But yeah, it's, um, it's definitely, you can get away with playing an A whole tone scale in the B part. And he, um, my brother had this one little, not really arpeggio, but this, this thing here. Went like a something like that, and he got away with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, the B part of the song <laughs> utilizes this um, uh, flat thirteen, basically, or uh, this uh, sorry, that's sharp eleven. It's so it's this is basically I have an A seven sharp eleven, and then I have A thirteen and uh, then A seven. So. Also A sharp 11, and that's D major 7th. So it kind of goes between like this A altered, A7 altered, and D major 7th. So that's a very, very strange resolution, but I thought it was kind of <laughs> quirky in its own unique way. Definitely quirky. So actually, that, that actually brings up something that I maybe wanted to mention in conjunction with, um, I don't know, like some of the first pieces, maybe Quandary, is that you you know, you just demonstrated right there that you have at least a bit of like theoretical knowledge of chord constructions and, and you definitely utilize a lot of like very warm suspended chords right. and stuff like that. What's your, I, I don't know. Are you, do you have formal music education? I don't, I don't know you well enough to, uh, to know all what your background is and we don't have to get super deep into it, <laughs> but that is something that's stri striking about some of these is they're not, they're not one, four, five. I don't have form. I mean, I've taken from a a, a lot of teachers. Um, I don't. I've, I don't go to music school. You know, I'm only 18, um, and I'm planning on maybe going to music school. So I don't have formal music training at a conservatory or anything. But I have. Yeah, I've. Um, I am very uh, passionate about musical theory, and I started learning it like a long time ago. Um, and the one of my, the first teachers I had said, "Oh, I should just kind of start teaching about theory, teaching about how chords are constructed." And more recently, I just, you know, I just, I, I just have fun on going on YouTube and watching, you know, Jacob Collier's recent interview talking about negative harmony or whatever. Some of that stuff is even beyond me, but I do, I do have, I, I find musical theory very interesting because when I hear a sound that's, uh, a sound that evokes sort of ambiguity or it evokes any emotion that I find uh, unique, I want to know what's causing that. Like if I hear a chord, right? Like, why does it sound the way that is? Oh, this is all built on fourths or anything like that. So whenever I hear a sound that um, strikes me or really um, makes me feel, just whenever I hear a sound I like, I want to know why I like it. And then for me, that's very um, useful because if I know what I like, then I can utilize what I like and I can write uh, songs with the harmony I've learned. So I've had many teachers, some who've had musical, who've had formal musical training um, teach me. And I've been very lucky to have um, knowledgeable teachers just sort of guide me through these things. But yeah, they, um, 
if that answers your question, yeah, I've had different teachers who've taught me musical theory and they all kind of have different things to say. Yeah, that's cool. And then you you let Otto have a feature on here playing playing a couple couple swing tunes. What did he what did he have to do to earn earn his own track on your on your CD? Uh, well, the uh, the swing tunes. Yeah. Uh, well, me and my brother play music together a lot, you know, because we're trapped in the same house. Uh, but he um, uh, he he play, he's a big fan of jazz. Um, so am I. But he plays. He takes with Don Sternberg, and he's big into swing. Um, and I usually just uh, play guitar. I just comp along with him. I usually don't take a solo on guitar. I mean, but I I just let him play melody and and sort of copy that Homer and Jethro type of sound, if you've ever listened to Jethro Burns. And, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's something that me and my brother both really like to do sort of as a duo act. Um, and every once in a while, if I'm playing a solo show, uh, I'll have him come in and we'll do like that kind of classic mandolin swing, Homer and Jethro-esque things. Uh, so yeah, that was, Jack, that was taken from a live concert um, at the Old Town School of Folk Music in Chicago, um, as well as the last track. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you get to that. No, no, we're we're there. That's cool. What uh, my main question on the last track is: what what tuning is that one in? That's got uh, yes. a real cool, like gnar- gnarly kind of sound to it. Right. That's a B flat tuning. Uh, I'll get into that one. So that's from the first string to fifth string. D, B flat. Uh, sorry, went too far. D B flat F. D B flat F. Then a low B flat. Oh. So all the way down to that low B flat, already getting into kind of guitar territory. And then the high string is uh, an F, a high F. So an octave higher than the third string. Um, yeah, and I, once again, I'm, I can't remember how I came up with this tuning either. It's sort of like, if you think of like, um, maybe this is too complicated to think about it, but uh, take double C tuning, tune it down a whole step, and then take the first string and tune it up a whole step. So it's like, if I were to... Yeah. I could have double B flat tuning, which is like C, double C tuning down a whole step, and then just take the first string, tune it up to the major third to D. So uh, yeah, I don't. I've written a few other pieces in this tuning as well, but it's uh, it's another really deep tuning, has an open sound, and I like it because it's like you said, like you pointed out for Soleil, it has a really low point, low note, and a high point, so I can kind of have lows and highs and kind of get that orchestral sound. I'm going off of memory here, but are you familiar with that opening track off of Bela's Bluegrass Sessions disc, Blue Mountain Hop, I think it's yes, called? Yes, I love that track and that record. It, other than the low fourth string, is I feel like that might be the same tuning as that. Uh, uh, interesting. I should probably not be talking about that without double checking, but it, it sounds like it's real close. But I, I know he doesn't do that real low note. I think it might just be a D yeah, I, I don't know. I, I might be making that up, but it, it reminds me of that. Right, yeah. Um, and then I don't... Sorry, uh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I don't uh, I don't play the song, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if Bela did some um, very out of the, very um, unique tuning for it. Of course, yeah. Um, and I definitely would not want to go away from, from talking about this album without acknowledging your brother did the artwork on this too, right? He did, yeah. Well, props to him. It's really cool. I, I like this. The the rooster. It's nice. Oh, thank you. I'll tell so. it, I'll tell him that you like it. Um, yeah, he's gotten into um, 
graphic design recently and he's used uh, Adobe, I think, um, Adobe Illustrator to just sort of create this. It was just funny because I we almost had a competition for the album cover art and I just drew this rooster and I was kind of proud of it. <laughs> and then I saw his cover. I'm like, okay, you, you win the contest. <laughs> so, so he, this is actually like a, a painting, right? Or he did this completely digitally? He did it completely digitally, yeah, with some effects um, that Illustrator has to make it look like. I mean, yeah, it, it looks like a paintbrush, but it's it is all digital. Yeah, incredible. I'd like to start talking about the the Civil War thing yeah. too, real quick. Um, you know, maybe not quite as in depth because it's not your personal project, but anything else that you're that we didn't cover about Rooster that you wanted to point out, or maybe that you're particularly proud of, or a story you remember about any of the tunes. Uh, oh, that's a good question. I'll have to think about that now. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, this was, you were very comprehensive with us. You asked some great questions, so I can't really think of anything we didn't cover. You know, I know I'm going to be after the interview be thinking like, shoot, I should have, I should have made this a point. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess the only other thing is that, uh, to be aware of that for the listeners who are listening, it's not, um, the, the first three tracks, um, and the, yeah, just the, uh, the first four tracks come from, a record that I released um, back in 2019 called Soleil, which has a few other tracks on it. Um, and Rooster is just sort of compiled of parts of Soleil and some new stuff. So if you want to hear more stuff, um, if you want to hear the full record that has the four original tracks, it's, it's, uh, you can go onto Spotify and search Soleil. It's its, it, um, it's, its own record. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, and usually I want to give you a chance to acknowledge all the players on the album. I think we've already basically talked about them. Basically, other than you, it's uh, it's your brother Otto, who you mentioned plays, uh, what, Mando, Fiddle, and I guess the Melodica. I got, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then also Matt Brown, the the fiddler, but he he lends some some guitar on, on some of these. And it's it's just you three guys. Yeah, just us three for cool. the yeah. Nice. So then we go to. It's by a. I mean, who who is this? It's it's a guy named Warren Lemming. Right. I don't know if you call him a songwriter or a composer or something like that. But the the title of the project is a rich man's war and a poor man's fight, uh, with the subtitle of songs and tunes inspired by the American civil war. And actually before we, you know, we were talking about the, the graphic design on, on your album. The first thing I want to mention about this is that the physical packaging on this is really impressive, oh, especially in, in this day and age where like, it's, it's a valid question whether people should print CDs at all. Uh, you know, that's a frequent thing that artists have to, <laughs> to deal with. And um, this, on the other hand, comes with like very comprehensive liner notes and Civil War era artwork. And so anyone who's listening who is interested in this project, I, I would personally recommend that you spring the extra couple bucks to get a hard copy rather than I assume it's available on download too, but it's it's definitely an interesting like booklet to flip through and just see how the what the product looks like, which is which is like I said unusual these days. But why don't you give us an intro to who Warren is, who who put the project together? Warren Lemming is an old friend of my father's. Uh, he's I don't really know how to classify him into one thing. He's a composer, an artist, an activist, a um, 
I, he has a name for what he, he calls himself, I forget. But uh, yeah, he, he and my father met at an art gallery back in the 90s, and he's one of these people, one of these very interesting people who's done a lot of things. He's, he'll be turning, I think, 80 next year. So he's, he's an old guy, but he's still kicking. Uh, and uh-huh. yeah, these, the Rich Man's War and a Poor Man's Fight is a collection of tunes mostly written by him, some instrumental. He got a help by um, banjo player Tom Paley. Uh, who's a Klawhammer banjo player uh, a while back. He's deceased now, but uh, he wrote some of the tunes, uh, but it's pretty much mostly Warren. Warren um, wrote the lyrics and the instrumental parts as well. Um, and yeah, he's done He's done poetry. I mean, there's, there's so many things Warren has done, I have no idea how to classify him into one thing, but an overall talented guy who's done poetry, music, art, uh, and yeah, this whole record is his project. It's his third rendition. Uh, it started as... I think it started as a play. I, I I'll have to check, but this is for this is the first time that it's been its own CD and really um, well. Actually, that's that's incorrect. It started as a play, then it was a CD 20 years ago. Now he's redone it as a re-recording of the CD. He wanted to re-record the whole thing with new musicians, including myself and a whole bunch of other local people. Uh, so yeah, it's a. I don't think the other one is available for streaming anywhere, but it's basically a reproduction. It's a re um, a redo of. A, a record which came out 20 years ago by the same name. So it's like, it's just a project that's, that's been done. It, that's This is the second rendition of the same project. Second rendition of an old project is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's been been revived. Exactly. Yeah. I, I suppose my main question is, was there, was there any thought regarding, like most people, when they think of like Civil War era banjo, it's not three finger played right. on a master tone style. Was that, was there any apprehension about that or was it just kind of, maybe that wasn't the goal and it was fine? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just wondering because that might surprise some people. You know, Warren sort of left it up to me. I mean, I listened to the old recording um, and I heard the banjo style and it was pretty different from mine. But I thought he, you know, he, Warren had hired us because he heard me and my brother play. He's like, oh, I want you to kind of apply your style onto these tunes. And he gave us the old record to listen to. And I heard um, uh, the original track. You know, fun fact is that most of these tracks were played by Warren, but in the Clawhammer style. So I kind of converted all these Clawhammer tunes into the three-finger style. I transcribed these tunes for the three-finger style from the Clawhammer style, which is an interesting thing to do in a fun project. And yeah, Warren told, yeah, sure is. He told me and my brother, like, oh, I want the, the, the centerpiece of the instrumental parts of this project to be harmony. I want you guys to be doing, like, sibling harmony. Because he, he heard me and my brother playing some harmony. He said, I want you to do that here, find harmony. So he basically had us uh, find twin parts, twin harmony parts, for pretty much every instrumental song, well, inst- instrumental and vocal songs. Um, and yeah, he just sort of wanted us to apply our style to the, to, to the old project in which he had showed us before. So, um, yeah, I wasn't really worried about sounding too traditional or too Civil War-esque. I just sort of thought, you know, we could do a modern take with a modern banjo style and mandolin style, kind of like this neo old time Civil War-esque thing. Um, and I think that's what he was envisioning. I remember we sent him projects like, yes, that's exactly what I want. I want this these new sounding harmonies with old tunes. So it's sort of, yeah, a mix of mix of like a new style with old sounding tunes modeled after the civil war. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't have as, you know, quite extensive notes about this other than like, you know, if there's anything you want to point out, that's cool. But like definitely for the listeners out there, if you want to check out some of the more banjo centric tracks on here, I have, uh, 
Antietam is is a really cool right. like banjo feature tune. Is that one that you converted? I, I assume from from the Clawhammer playing. one of my favorites to convert and one of my favorites to write harmony for because the B part is really kind of um, it's very modal I'm not even sure if, if I were to study it I'm not even sure what mode it's in but it's like a G uh, wrong tuning it's in G and F minor and all these things and me and my brother had kind of a tricky time doing a harmony for that because we thought oh well like what are we going to base the mode around but we we ended up with some interesting kind of you know eastern sounding kind of elements to it um, for the harmony of Antietam and that one, yeah, that one definitely stands out, stands out as one of my favorite tunes and one of my favorite ones to write, um, to, to, to transcribe for a three-finger banjo and to give a harmony for. That was one of the more challenging tunes, but one of the fun ones to, to play. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then there is Patroller's Song, oh, yeah. which, which is everyone's favorite three-finger and claw-hammer duet, right. uh, <laughs> you know, instrumentation. And that's... Um, the aforementioned uh, Matt Brown playing the claw hammer part on that. So that's, that's a cool one for banjo fans to, to check out. I also really like, Oh, I hope I can pronounce it. Chickamauga. Yep. Yep. That's right. It, any idea if I'm, if I'm pronouncing that that's one cor- correctly? You, Chickamauga. You said it correctly. Yeah, yeah. Something that I did note, I mean, uh, on both records, but definitely a lot on this one and particularly on this track, I love the tone of the banjo oh, on that one. It really comes it really comes through nicely with, you know, the sparse surrounding instrumentation. I was going to get to it later, but maybe I'll just just ask you now. Tell us about tell us about the banjo that you're using. Are you right. using the same banjo on both of these yep. projects I, exclusively? I am. It's just Tell us about that. Uh, this is a 1940 PB7 conversion banjo. It was Shipped to South Africa in 1941 as a plectrum banjo, and then came back to the United States in t- 2016. Uh, it was when it went to uh, Groon Guitars. Could not sell. It could not sell as a plectrum banjo because that's fallen out of style these days. So they got Robin Smith to build a five-string neck for it. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, and I found I stumbled upon it uh, in the December of 2017. I wanted to get a. A better banjo than I had, and I was I was like, oh, I should just play my dream banjo. And I thought, I love how top tension sound. I should play my dream banjo um, and just give it a try, see how it sounds. And I th- and it sounded fantastic. It was one of my favorite banjos I've ever ever played. But I thought, oh, I'm not. I can't afford this. Um, I'm. This is just just to, just to get a taste of you know the nectar <laughs> of the gods, right? But then my grand yeah, yeah. my grandfather heard me play, and he's like, oh, you know, this is. Like you really sound good on this banjo, and I've made investments my whole life, and you're an invest, you're something I believe in investing in. So he bought this banjo for me to play. I'm very thankful, very grateful for that. Um, Whoa, yeah, yeah. So he bought it for me to play, um, and yeah, it's really I I have at this point I'm not really looking at any other banjos. It's my it is it is my baby basically. Like how Bailiffleck has his one banjo that he plays. This is. My main banjo, I don't use other banjos very frequently. If I'm flying maybe to Europe or something, uh, then I want to be careful and use a different banjo. But 
since like there's these new TSA laws in the United States that they can't make you check your instrument. I'm like, you know, I, this is, I basically play this one wherever I go. So yeah, this is, um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I didn't mention yet. 1940 PB7, top tension. That's what I didn't say, top tension conversion. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's about it. So here's here's a nerdy question. S- style sevens usually have the the bow tie right. inlay, where yep. yours is more like like the eighteen. Right. Uh, and I know that you didn't hire Robin to make the neck, so maybe you don't have an explanation for why that is. But if you know, uh, <laughs> feel free to share. Yeah, I don't know. There's a few uh, different style seven banjos that have style eighteen necks. I forget what Noam's is because he has a style eighteen neck as well. Um, it's a different uh, artwork on the headstock. His is like the um, floral, and mine is like this more square shape. Art deco thing. Yeah, yeah. right. It, but it's still technically a Style 18 headstock on a Style 7 banjo. I think I think they had made a whole bunch of Style uh, 18 headstocks and had more Style 7 banjos, so they just didn't want to waste the headstocks and use them. Well, or that's not true, though, because this is not made by Gibson. So I really don't know why Robin Smith decided to put a style 18 headstock on a style seven banjo. It's too bad he... Do you still have... Go ahead. Do you still have the four string neck to it? I do, yeah. It came with a four string neck. And does Is that a style 18? It's a style 18, uh, yeah. Inlay pad? It is a style Okay, 18. so Robin was probably just... Uh, Modeling it after keeping, that. Keeping without... Yeah. Yeah. I th- Very interesting. I think for Gibson, when the banjo was falling out of style and they had to ship all these banjos to... Um, South Africa. I think they had made like certain necks, certain pots, and they just had to put them together and just like had to had these make and shift, makeshift sort of Frankenstein esque banjo stick it. Uh, style eighteen neck, style seven pot, whatever. It's still it's still a banjo. Yeah, and it well, it, and it sounds awesome. So however however it got put together is is cool with us, right? Yes. And then. Uh, another banjo featured song road to Appomattox. I don't really have many notes on that other than that's just another like cool example of a, of a banjo centric track off of, off of this project. Um, and then I, I guess you already, you pretty much already answered this question given the history of the project, but I was really curious about, you know, the fact that Warren himself doesn't seem to, uh, other than the fact that he composed, which of course is a good contribution, but his name really, he doesn't perform very much of it. I think he has vocals, but um, you already kind of gave an explanation of that. So that was something that I was curious about and maybe why I was slightly confused about what his role was in in the project. But that's interesting. Yeah, he wrote most of the tunes. I think Patroller song he didn't write. That's actually an old one. Um, but he, in the past, he'd played it, and he at this point, like he had like um, some some injury and couldn't really play. But he he was still the artistic director. And uh, as far as you know, is he happy with this uh, revitalized version of his of his project? Very much so. Yeah, he's told he's told us like, oh, this is more than I could have ever dreamed it to be. So I think he's very grateful, and we're happy that he's happy with it. Oh, that's so cool. Well, thanks a lot for getting both of these to me. I've I've oh, yeah. enjoyed listening to them. Back to your, you know, to your banjo tone. What was, do you remember what your like studio setup was on this? Was there particular microphones that you, yeah, I, that you were lucky to get a good sound out of? I always used condenser mics. I do not know the brand or model. It's been a little while now. We, we took it to a studio, um, 
and they tried a few different setups with different instruments. Um, it was definitely condenser mics, but that's really all I can tell you. I forget the model and the okay, which is unfortunate. Yeah, I'm sure you can find out if you if you really needed to. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, uh, hey, I guess same question as last time. Any, anything else that you feel like you want to say about either of these uh, projects before I before I let you go? I guess I'll just use it as a as an opportunity to um, tell people where they can find them. They're streamable on all these all the conventional streaming platforms, Spotify. I guess that's all I will say about them for now. Yeah, well, uh, then on that along the same lines, tell us where people can find like you personally if, oh, yeah. if you ever have tour date tour dates again. Uh, maybe that'll be a thing that right. people can go see you in concert. Uh, how would they find you if they want? I have my I have a website, just maxallard.com. That's M-A-X-A-L-L-A-R-D.com. Um, I don't have any scheduled tour dates at all. I was going to go on a tour with the band Barbaro from Minnesota, um, and they will have me back as a touring banjo player when touring is a possibility or when it's more viable. Um, but yeah, for now, I'm focusing on just doing home recording and uh, releasing videos on YouTube as well. You can find me, Max Allard Banjo, on YouTube. Just search Max Allard Banjo. Um, so yeah, my website, my um, my Spotify, and my YouTube it will be pretty active within the next, for the rest of the quarantine, basically. And that's where you can find my newest material, my newest songs, before they're recorded for an album. Yeah, well, excellent. We'll definitely keep in touch when you know, whenever your album project comes out, have you back and hopefully one of these days get to to meet up with you in person and do like a real interview digging into more of your right. banjo background and your your personal techniques and, and styles. And I'm sure we have a lot more to, to hear from you about that. So looking forward to getting to do that someday too. Oh, me too. Yeah, I look forward to doing that. I really enjoy um, this podcast and I think it's pretty much the only banjo podcast there is if I'm if I am not mistaken. I mean, my, my listeners have heard my, my story a few times, but that's, that's basically why I made it. If, yeah. if, if this, if this podcast had existed when I started it, I wouldn't have done it. Cause that's, that's all I wanted was to listen right. to one. And, uh, after about a year, I was like, uh, screw this. I'll, I'll do it myself. So here we are. Here we are. Yeah. Good time to be a bachelor player. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. Um, all right, man. Well, hey, thanks for thanks so much for taking the time to uh, to speak with me. Really enjoy your music and uh, look forward to keeping up with all the other things you're doing. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Max Allard. Thank you once again to Dr. Will Selman for his very generous Patreon support. If you'd like to support the podcast, go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast. Another reminder, don't forget to sign up for that uh, Banjo Summit at banjosummit.org. That's coming up December 4th through 6th. Hope to see you there. Contact me, pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Uh, thanks again for listening, and I'll see you all next time.